0: Hello, welcome to the Tales from the Shadows podcast. Now, normally, this is a podcast where the Shadow Girls get together and talk about folklore, fairy tales, storytelling and tell each other a few stories. But at the moment, uh, due to the global pandemic, we are all in isolation. And unfortunately, most of the mics are in my house. So you're stuck with just me for this episode, Emily. And I am coming to you from my isolated blanket fort. If you are stuck at home and are looking for something to do to occupy your time, I highly recommend you try building a blanket fort. It's great fun and it's very cosy. But I think it's time I got on to the stories. And today I'm going to be telling you two stories about wolf women. She-wolves. But before I can get on to the stories, I need to give you a bit of background about werewolves in Irish mythology. Wolves and werewolves in Irish myth and legend... They do seem to differ a little bit from uh, the mainland european counterparts sorry i've just been interrupted by the arrival of my own little wolfling uh, squire has come to join me in the blanket fort uh, sorry squire but i don't think you could get much further from a wolf without becoming a goldfish so as i was saying the werewolves you find in irish folklore and myth they're a lot less predatory and dangerous than the european counterparts in fact in a lot of the stories the wolves are not only friendly but they are helpers and well there's a few reasons I can wildly speculate as to why that might be. There were wolves in Ireland up until the 18th century. The last wolf in Ireland is said to have died in 1786 so that's about 300 years after the last wolf in England died and a hundred years after the last wolf in Scotland is believed to have been wiped out Though I think I heard talk that they are considering trying to bring wolves back uh, up into Donegal. So uh, I'll keep you posted if I hear anything about that. But Ireland had a long history of there being wolves here. Ireland also, for much of its history, was densely forested. And if the stories of the Fiend are anything to go by, there was a lot of wild game. There were deer, but there were also wild boars, hares and things. So. A lot of natural food sources for wolves and I haven't looked up the uh, statistics on this but I'm going to guess from the mythological references that there were a lot less wolf attacks on humans in Ireland than there would have been in other parts of the world because well quite frankly a human is rather difficult to attack they tend to fight back and but there's not as much eating on them as there might be for a deer so you're, you're putting in a lot of energy for not necessarily great returns. So that's just my wild speculation that perhaps there were less wolf attacks in Ireland, which was why we tended to have a more friendly view of them. Also, we have our own little version of Romulus and Remus in Saint, and I'm probably going to mispronounce the name, Saint Elby of Emly, who, according to Wikipedia, is also sometimes known as Saint Elvis. Interesting. Saint Iblee, or St. Elvis, I'm going to just go with St. Elvis because I know I'm pronouncing that. Well, he was uh, the pre-Patrick patron saint of Ireland, but was also uh, the patron saint of wolves, because according to the story, he was raised by wolves. When he was born, due to various complicated reasons uh, to do with his conception and who his parents were, he was ordered to be put to death as a baby, but he was found in in the wilderness by a she-wolf and raised by her and in later life when he joined human society he was still on good terms with his foster family so sixth century saint claimed to be raised by wolves and keeping with the idea of saints Ireland also has the uh, the first werewolf case ever brought before the Vatican this is the werewolves of ossory The account comes from an account written by Gerald of Wales, who wrote uh, a very early version of a travel blog when he was wandering around Ireland in around the 12th century. During his travels, Gerald met a fellow priest, whose name is not given, who had had a very interesting experience in the kingdom of Ossery, which today is known as Kilkenny. The priest claims that while he was travelling, suddenly a wolf appeared before him. But the wolf, rather than seeking to attack the lone traveller, seemed to gesture for the priest to follow him. The priest didn't really know what to do but then the wolf suddenly began to speak in the voice of a man. The wolf then starts to beg the priest to come with him quickly because the wolf's wife is dying and they need a priest to perform the last rites. The priest follows, very confused by this talking wolf who seems to not only be a talking wolf but also a Christian. And he finds where the she-wolf is lying. The male wolf lies down next to her and tries to comfort her and begs the priest to perform the last rites before she dies. The priest is in a bit of a pickle because it's, well, it's blasphemy to perform a sacred rite upon an animal. But the wolf then starts to explain that they are not actually wolves. They are members of a clan who are under a curse. Many, many years ago, an ancestor of theirs offended a holy man. And he placed a curse upon them. Once a generation, two people shall be picked, man and woman, and transformed into the form of wolves for seven years. This generation, it was this man and this woman who were picked by the curse and transformed into wolves. But the woman, she is about to die. And she is a Christian. She has been baptised. And the wolf begs the priest to please perform the last rites on her before she dies even though she's about to die in the form of a wolf. The priest, well, he doesn't really have time to debate whether this is the right thing to do or not, because the woman is about to die, so he does perform the last rites upon the wolf. And the she-wolf closes her eyes happily and dies. But once she is dead, her wolf skin seems to fall away, revealing that she is indeed a woman. And the priest is very confused by this and writes an account to the Vatican saying, this is what happened to me when I was in Ireland. Um, Did I do the right thing? And I don't know what the Vatican's reply to him was. But it is the first recorded werewolf case brought before the Vatican. The Werewolves of Ossery. But the Wolves of Ossery aren't the only Irish werewolves you'll find. There are many stories of the Fodla, who are more traditional shapeshifters. And there are many stories in which these creatures are quite helpful. They assist lost travellers and they're said to be very inclined to give protection to lost children. And if you want to know more about these creatures, I suggest you get in contact with Hog and Dice. Uh, They have a YouTube channel, they're also on Twitter, and they know a lot more about this subject than I do. Some of the great mythological heroes are also said to be rather werewolf-like. Cú for instance, the Hound of Ulster. He certainly has a number of canine traits, but there are many accounts of when he goes into his battle frenzy, his hero's light comes upon him and he undergoes a rather horrific physical transformation. There are many great descriptions of the various things that happen to him. Um, Every hair in his body suddenly stands on end, all the muscles bulge you can see every sinew his jaw seems to extend so you can see every tooth that grows and sharpens one bit of the description which is it'll really stick in your head one of his eyes shrinks down deep into his skull and the other one grows so great that it plops out and lulls on his cheek and the bit that I can never shake out of my head his kneecaps turn backwards and I don't know why, but that is the one that just always sticks in my head, as well as the, the eye plopping out onto his cheek, but the kneecaps turning backwards. So there would be some argument that Cú Hullin, the Hound of Ulster, in his hero-like transformation, has certain maybe werewolf-like qualities. He certainly does shift form. The Fianna too, they're also sometimes considered to be werewolves. Uh, if you play the World of Darkness games and uh, the werewolf one, Werewolf Apocalypse, you, there is a clan of werewolves in there, a type, a class you can play, uh, who are the Fianna, who really take this idea that the ancient Fenian warriors were a type of werewolves. Because, again, the wolf was seen as being associated with a number of the traits that were also associated with the warrior. But also loyalty, which was a big thing for the Fianna. Famously, the Fianna were very loyal to their leaders, very loyal to each other. And wolves are also famously very loyal to their pack. But that's just a little bit of background on um, wolves in Irish folklore and mythology. Again, if you want more, get in touch with Hog and Dice or Mark from the Leprechaun Museum. Mark knows a huge amount about werewolves, both the Irish variety and the more common European variety. And I have two werewolf stories for you. But unlike the stories of the possible werewolf Hullen or the warrior wolves, my stories are about she-wolves. And I could go on a long tangent about the image of the she-wolf and how it has been used to malign or attack various female figures through history, but I think I've gone on another tangent already. It's time for a story. The first story I'm going to tell you is about the three she-wolves of Kruakon. In Ruscommon, there is a cave the cave of Kruakon, and it is said to be an entrance into the other world. Sometimes it is called the cave of cats, for there are stories that every Samhain, great demon cats, come out through this cave, coming from the other world, the world of fairies or the world of demons, and enter ours. But in this story, you will find no felines. The last creatures of the she, creatures of the other world, to make this cave their home were three sisters, said to be the three daughters of Aratrek. Now these three sisters, when they entered the mortal world, they came not in a human form, but in the form of three great she-wolves, wolves far larger than any mortal beast. They roamed through the mortal world, looking to satisfy their hunger. The people of Rascommon would sit in their houses, shivering with terror as they listened to the wolves howling to each other, heard the bleating and the cries of the animals as the wolves feasted. And when the teeth of the she-wolves and the ground of Rascommon was slick with blood and their hunger satisfied, the three sisters would slink back into their cave into their home. Now, these she-wolves, these sisters, they had never harmed a child. They had never attacked a man or a woman. But the people were worried. Worried about what might happen when there were no more cows, no more goats or pigs for the wolves to feast on. And already, some people were beginning to go hungry as their livestock was plucked off each night. And so, in desperation the people turned to the Fianna, to the great warrior poets. And one member of the Fianna did answer their call, a man called Quilcha Macronon. Now, Quilcha Macronon, he was famed throughout all Ireland. It was said he was the fastest man on earth. He could run faster than the winds, and there were great stories of his speed. He also had a gift whereby he could speak to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And he was also said to be the greatest poet of the Vienna. And being a poet, well, he knew some of the ways of the she and of the fairy folk. Quilcher asked the people to tell him what was their problem, what was troubling them. And they told him about the wolves, about the wolves from the other world that came at night and ate their livestock. Quilcher, he listened. And when he had listened to their tale, he spoke. You will never strike them down while they are in their wolf form. These are creatures of the other world. Their fur is so thick, no mortal weapon can pierce it. But if you could persuade them to take human form, well then they would be vulnerable to human weapons. Quilter then asked for the people to bring him a musician. A musician who was willing to risk their life to defeat the wolves. For you see, these wolves, they were fairies. They were creatures of the she. And the creatures of the she, they love music. At last, a harpist was found and brought to Quilcha. Quilcha took the man deep into the woods, set up a camp with a fire, and while the harpist sat by the fire playing, Quilcha climbed up into one of the tall trees in his hand, his spear. The two of them waited. The harpist they played as the sun went down and the moon came up. They played as they heard the howling of the wolves, the sisters calling to each other. They continued to play as they heard the cries of the animals, the tearing of flesh. They kept playing as they heard things moving in the darkness, coming closer. They continued to play on as they saw... Six eyes gleaming in the dark. They still played on as the wolves came closer, and the harpist could see that these wolves, they were much larger, much greater in size than any mortal beast, but still the harpist played. The wolves, you see, they came closer. Their ears pricked up, listening to the sound, but they didn't bare their teeth. The three wolves entered the circle of firelight. They lay down, listening to the music. The harpist watched as the heads of the three wolves began to sway in the rhythm of the music, as their tails began to wag to the beat of the song. The harpist cried out, As it is human music I play, perhaps you would hear it better in human form. The wolves, they seemed to agree. For the largest, she stood And took off her wolf's pelt Revealing a woman whose hair was so fair It was almost as white as the moon The second sister followed Taking off her wolf's skin Revealing a woman whose hair was so dark It was blacker than the night The third sister The youngest and the smallest But still greater in size than any wolf She too rose and let her fur fall revealing a woman whose hair was so red it looked like flames were licking about her face. The three sisters, they began to dance around the fire, dancing to the music of the harpist. And the harpist, he looked at them. He looked at them and marvelled at the grace of their limbs, at the lightness of their feet as they danced, at the softness of their hands. And he began to wonder, wonder if maybe... Maybe, as they could take human form, they could listen to human reason. The wolves had, after all, only killed to eat. Perhaps some deal might be made with them. The fairies will often make deals. Perhaps, if some arrangement could be struck, there would be no blood shed this night. But even as this thought was dawning on him, Quilchamack Ronan, from high in the tree, let loose his spear. It struck the eldest of the sisters, striking through her breastbone and out through her back, driving into the second sister, through the breastbone, through the back, and then striking the third, through the breastbone, through the back. And all three sisters were there impaled upon one spear. Quilcheky leapt down from the tree, took out his great sword, and in one swing severed three heads from three bodies. And the people of Ruscommon, well, they were never again troubled by wolves of the other world. But the harpist, who had played the music that had tricked the sisters, who had watched them die, well, he never played again. For they say there is a wolf to be found in the soul of every woman. There is also cruelty to be found in the heart. Of each man. So there you go. The Three Werewolves of Roscommon from the Cave of Cats, the Daughters of Airtech. Not a particularly happy ending to that story. Thankfully, though, my second story does have a happier ending. I first heard this story at an event run by Moth and Butterfly in the Bray Yarn Spinners Festival, the storytelling festival held by the Mermaid Theatre. And it was told by storyteller Orla McGovern. I highly recommend you check her out and check out Moth and Butterfly if you happen to be in Galway when this pandemic is over and when it is safe to go out and socialise with each other again. Also, look at some of their social media stuff because, like many other storytellers, they are participating in trying to share stories any way we can. I know they were taking part in Storytellers of Ireland's live stream for World Storytelling Day, so go take a look at them. I had never heard this story before Orla shared it at Moth and Butterfly and so I'm very happy to be able to share my version of it with you. Now, long, long ago, in the time of the Fianna, there was a man named Dara Dohil. and he decided he would raise an army, and attack Munster in the south of the country. Fion McCool and the Fianna They answered his charge and there was a great battle, a battle in which the Fianna were victorious and Dara's army defeated. Dara, though, he had a daughter, a daughter called Mish. Mish, she had heard the sounds of the battle, heard the cries of the wounded and the dying. And when the fighting was done, she ran out onto the field searching for her father, Her father, who was her only kin, her only living relative. She searched among the waste of wasted lives, and at last she found her father. He was alive, but only just. He had taken many grievous wounds in the battle, and it was clear that he did not have long left in this world. Miss, she fell on her father, crying out in animal pain. She tried to lick at his wounds in a desperate attempt to heal them. But Dara died in his daughter's arms. This Mish began a terrible howling and keening and still covered in her father's blood, she ran from the field of battle and ran into the wilderness. Grief became a kind of madness. It consumed and transformed her. Her nails grew long and sharp. Her teeth, which until now had always been covered by soft smiles, they were now bared and ready to tear at any who might come close to her. Her hair, it grew long and matted, covering her entire body. She made the mountain her home, a place they named after her, Mish. People, they heard the stories of the wolf woman of the mountain. The few ever saw her, they could hear her terrible howling. And those who did see her, well, very few lived to tell the tale. For three hundred years, Mish made the wildness of that mountain her home. The people, they dug a trench around it to warn travellers that it was not safe to cross, for if you crossed over this trench, you were in the territory of the wild woman. But there was a musician a harpist who lived in Kerry, who lived not far from Sleave Mish. They had heard stories of the wolf woman, but they had also heard her howling. And in that howling, they could hear sad music, the keening of a consuming grief. And so, with their harp and some food wrapped in a blanket, the harpist crossed over the border. And into the wildness of Schlieve Mish. When they found a suitable spot, they built a fire, laid out their blanket and their food, and they began to play. Softly, as night grew deep, Mish approached. She stayed just outside the circle of the firelight, watching and listening to the music. The harpist played on as if unconcerned, and when their song was done, they undid the clasp of their cloak, bearing the soft, vulnerable flesh of their throat. Mish stepped into the circle of firelight. The harpist they picked up their instrument and began to play again. This time, when the song ended, they removed the shoes from their feet, and Mish came a little closer and they began to play again. And so this continued. After each song was played, the harpist would remove another garment, making themselves more vulnerable, and each time Mish would come a little bit closer, intrigued by the sight of soft flesh and the sound of soft music. At last the harpist was naked in the firelight, and Mish sitting by their side. She began to nuzzle at their smooth skin, drinking in the scent, tasting but not tearing. The harpist, they stroked her fur, gently on-knotting the tangles of her hair. Mish placed her hand in those of the harpist and let them cut back her long nails so that she could touch without tearing. The two ate together, lay together on the blanket sharing care and kindness. When the dawn broke, the harpist heated water and the two washed together, and Mish shed much of her fur and much of her wild madness. Her heart had mended. The grief, it was still there, but it was now an old scar rather than a gaping wound. Mish, the wolf-woman of the mountain. She left. Hand in hand with the harpist. And it said that the two were happy. And that's the end of that story. I thought I'd put the two stories together because... Well, they're quite interesting to look at and compare because there are a lot of similarities. They both involve wild wolf women. They both involve a musician. They both involve playing by moonlight. They both involve the removing of fur. But they're very, very different. I think the difference is in the the attitude towards the wild woman. In the story of the three sisters, well, the people, they fear the wild woman. They fear how dangerous they are. They fear what they might do. Whereas in the story of Mish, the harpist, what they look for, they look for the music in the howling. And it's a story about how love and gentleness and music can be healing. There are also other versions of the Sleeve Mish story um, where it's all about sexual healing and there's a lot of very dirty jokes in it, but I'm not going to go into that here. Go find that in your own time. I think the Sleeve Mish story, well, it's also a story that's rather appropriate at this time because we are in a time of fear and a time when some of us will be experiencing grief. And Mish, when she takes her grief, when she lets it consume her and takes it into isolation, it becomes a madness and a wild, uncontrollable thing, a thing that's controlling her rather than her being in power of it. And I think that is a danger at the moment because, well, many of us, we're being advised to self-isolate, only go out for necessities. But the Steve mish story, it's also about how music, how art, how kindness and connection can bring you through that. And I know it's a time at the moment where you can't, we can't physically connect and get closer to each other. But we have lots of, thankfully, lots of technologies at our disposal to help us form those connections. We've got phones, we've got Skypes, we've got video calls. And maybe you have a harp where you can uh, put someone on, on FaceTime and, and play a song to them. Or just send them a link to a song that, oh, I was listening to the song and I was thinking of you. Because we have lots of ways that we can keep building and maintaining connections, keep reaching out to people. And I think a great way to do that is to share music or share stories. This story was shared with me, and now I'm sharing it with you. I hope you've enjoyed. If you want to keep up with uh, what I and the rest of the Shadow Girls are doing, uh, we're on the social medias on Facebook and Instagram. We are at Tales from the Shadows, on Twitter, we are at Sh- Tales Shadows. Uh, we're doing a few various things, we're doing a, the occasional live stream, uh, which happening a bit sporadically we are doing our once upon a time off's news on when the next one of that will be up will be coming soon chanon has also taken on a a great challenge she is going to read all of the Grimm's fairy tales one story a day until either this ends or she runs out of stories whichever happens first and that's happening on our facebook page she uploads one story a day there's a few uploaded already so you can you can binge them if you like I hope you're finding ways to keep yourself keep yourself sane, keep yourself occupied, entertained, and keep safe. I really hope all of you out there are safe. And now go wash your hands.